0: Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Biochrisma podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Adam Stevens of Grateful Harvest Seeds. Adam's uh, name around these parts is Mr. Permy Bear. He's been pretty much the epicenter of many people moving to this area of the Ozarks, many of us transplants that we're looking for community. And uh, the services that he's been providing, everything from organic, Heirloom seeds to uh, construction, to actually um, greenhouse design and all the rest of it. He's just been a wonderful, wonderful being to know. And <laughs> I have to say that he's he's a uh, he was our anchor point here uh, where we decided to move in the Ozarks of Missouri. So, In this podcast, we have a a lot of fun. (laughs) It was an in-person interview on his farm. Uh, The snow and the wind were starting to come in, so we only had about an hour and 20 minutes to actually be able to uh, get into it. But we are going to be launching an educational platform in the Living Free Movement, and uh, we're really excited to kind of give you a little primer of what's, what's in store. Um, we're super excited to actually be doing this together. He and I both love teaching, and this will give us a, a a way in which we can share what we have learned and share what we're experimenting, what we are learning in the current time. So enjoy this podcast. Mr. Permy Bear is, is a complete legend, and uh, look, Look forward to our future content because uh, he and I get a little bit uh, goofy around each other. So it could be a lot of dad jokes, but it's still a lot of fun. A lot of non-PC dad jokes, I should say. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side.
1: Are these the same check, kind check,
0: that, check,
1: check. same kind that Brian has? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I able to get them at a good discount. Nice. My main man, Adam What's Stevens. What's happening? Mr. Perms. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Biocharisma podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome hey, to my, my farm. farm. Hey, man. This farm is what brought us to Missouri. Totally. Do you mind if I tell this story? Go ahead. The genesis of our friendship. <laughs> Do it. So for those of you out there that don't know Mr. Permyberry, he's a really sappy letter writer. And <laughs> you sent that great letter to BB, I guess it was the winter of 2022? No, how would it have be been earlier than
1: that? Because that was last winter. It would have had to been 21. Yeah, the winter
0: of 21. 21 yeah. That's right, because we came up in 2022. Mm-hmm. And that letter touched me, man. It was beautiful. And we needed good seeds. So I was like, this dude's got it going on. The How you, like, your whole vibe, I was just like, I have to reach out to this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we did, and then your family was so gracious to host us here. Mm-hmm. Your slave at the time let us stay in his slave quarters, yep. which was wonderful.
1: Probably cold.
0: It was a little cold, but you snuggle. Yeah. That's what you do. Totally. It's permaculture, dog. Totally. You have to stack functions. You've been stacking a lot of functions. But um, yeah, I just have to say like, uh, you know, your hospitality and us coming up here and just the combination of all the other people that Mm -hmm. we were meeting was just instrumental in bringing us to this part of the Ozarks.
1: Yeah, and Uh, we're glad you're here.
0: Yeah, and uh, so tell us a little bit about this farm that you're on.
1: So we have uh, 43.6 acres in Texas County, Missouri. We've got about half of that is woods. The other half is uh, pastures. We um, have been here four years, and we are aspiring to take the permaculture dream and turn it into reality. So when we left Oregon, we had the vision that we were going to create a permaculture farm that would export a good amount of all kinds of food, you know, meat, milk, vegetables, uh, fruit, and education. Mm -hmm. was a big part of what we wanted to be able to do Um, because we've put in a lot of time and effort into figuring things out and studying and we're uh, extremely eclectic and weird in the things that we come across Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of been the the dream and when you buy basically the most beat-up farm that you can find because it's what you can afford so that you're not uh, going into debt to the Mm grabblers it's a lot of work yeah so we've had uh you know, a lot of neighbors I've asked about kind of the history of the farm. One of my neighbors up the road lives on the farm that he was born on and he's 85 or 86. His name is Tex. He's great. And uh, so one day I was like, Tex, tell me what my farm was like when it was nice. He's like, what?
0: What are you talking about? (laughs) When was it nice? Your farm has (laughs) never been nice. I was
1: like, all right, great. Oh, brutal. Yeah, so you know, there's a couple buried cars over there that we've been told about and so it's uh, it's definitely a labor of love and healing because this place has just been used and abused as long as anybody can remember so there's a an enormous amount of work there's a lot still needs to be done but we've also made an enormous amount of project do, do, uh, progress do
0: your dogs unearth stuff and bring stuff back to you they mostly find dead deer They Uh, don't really dig much. Right. They're not the
1: digging kind of dogs. We've got the Great Pyrenees Anatolian mix. So he's the wanderer. And then Sam's the uh, Australian Shepherd mix. Mm -hmm. And so they just like to keep things at bay, basically. They're not much digging. But we unearth some interesting things when we're planting trees and whatnot. I bet all kinds of trash, but also Indian artifacts, which is always fun.
0: And you were just telling me about Indian artifact right here, right? With this. Possibly.
1: Yeah, I was told that oftentimes when you see these bent over trees like this, um, it's the old Native Americans. They would, they would bend the trees and kind of stake them down to directionally point to things. And just so happens that tree is pointing to our spring, which is at the bottom of a, a hill over there. And this is the river over here on the other side, now we have the head of the spring. Mm-hmm. So it's phenomenal drinking water. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of springs up and down this river, but most of them don't start at the river. And so it's kind of my opinion and guess that this, you know, cause that's, that's an oak tree of some sort, you know, so that's probably really old, uh, but it's it's been bent over by something. So could be Indian, could not be but mm-hmm. it still points to the spring that's cool which is neat
0: that is really neat yeah i heard about that in asian countries they do that with bamboo
1: bamboo yeah yeah, yeah. so the pandas know where to go exactly yeah that makes sense exactly
0: <laughs> but they'll also bend it just for the orna the ornamentation of it yeah yeah i, I bet you it was more in this vein mm-hmm. but people not knowing what they were doing just said it was for ornamentation that makes sense yeah that's really wonderful it's one thing I've been really liking about the Ozarks overall is the amount of different hardwood trees that are here. Mm-hmm. I sort of had a, a little ego about the hardwoods that that I was exposed to in the tropics, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, nothing can hold a candle to hickory. It's intense. Hickory breaks my, my chainsaw blade like every time. Totally. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: Makes the best tool handles.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to cut with a chainsaw. And that's nice. saying a lot. Yeah, right. That is saying a lot. Well, I would love people to get to know you a little bit. Um, you know, we don't have to go through, like, the, like, the full detail. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do the Dr. Evil of, like, you know, Yeah. When, you know, that whole thing. I was born, so on <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> but, um, you know, you've lived a pretty eclectic life. Yes, and uh, it's good to let people kind of get a little taste of what your background was and what actually brought you to being Mr. Permy Bear, being this entrepreneur, five father, you know, mm-hmm. permaculture, the do-it-all DIYer, dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: the dude who does stuff. Yes. Um, we won't go. I guess we'll go kind of farish back. Uh, I originally wanted to be an architect. I let go of that when I got a telemarketing job and was in college and got scared away from that whole process. So the, uh, the company that I worked for was owned by a brokerage company and they approached several of us about uh, becoming brokers. So that was my, my foray into that. So I was a stockbroker focusing on international trading for a number of years and then uh, went to um, active trader services from that point which was, you know, day traders, head funds managers, basically professional people that didn't have real jobs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Trading was their job. Did that for a while in Texas, which is where we caught the farming bug. We had our oldest son there mm-hmm. and uh, you know, got into gardening. My dad has some acreage outside of Austin, so we kinda played around with the farm thing there. Went through the Texas drought, left, and it was around that time that I, you know, being in the bowels of the financial industry, walked away completely from the stock market, didn't want anything to do with it anymore, because I saw a lot of things I couldn't unsee. Mm -hmm. Saw what a rapacious and rigged system it is. So I was like, yeah, okay, we're not gonna do that. Um, We moved to Eugene, Oregon, where I landed a job at a bank doing uh, analysis for commercial loans. I had no idea what that was at the time, but they were like, oh, with your background, this would probably be a great fit, and it was. Went through the ranks and ended up uh, becoming a commercial lender. Mm -hmm. Um, While we were there we also bought our first farm outside of Eugene, 32 acres, Mm -hmm. and started experimenting. And uh, you know I've always hated small talk. I've always uh, hated talking sports. I loved playing sports but I absolutely hated watching them, talking about them, all that. And you know when you're in the financial services and you're you're dealing with a lot of um, wide variety of people that's a really big commonality is the weather and what's going on with you know the the favorite college team
0: the sports ball team
1: yes the sports ball team and uh and I really I couldn't stand that was it like
0: duck fever out there the Eugene
1: Oregon oh my gosh It was ducks everything. It wasn't football season. They were talking about basketball. And when they weren't talking about basketball, they were talking about track. And it's just like Mm -hmm. nauseating for somebody who wasn't into that. Right. So I was like, well, forget this. I have nothing in common with you people. I can only small talk so much. So I continued my habit of reading farming and gardening books on Mm -hmm. my lunch break. And um, while doing that, and that started in the brokerage industry for a similar reason. Um, So that, I had exhausted all of my books that I had bought and one day I saw on my dad's bookshelf the Permaculture Designer's Manual and I was like, oh, permaculture, cool, I've heard of that. Mm -hmm. Let me see what that's all about. So that was my first book, which is hilarious (laughs) for what it is. That's nice. My first permaculture book and I read it cover to cover and it took me a while because it's uh really dense at at parts so
0: they that that's a that's something really funny cuz you know what my entree to biodynamics was what the collected works of Rudolf Steiner oh jeez <laughs> <laughs> like a 1100 page opus on like every like you know energetic pattern in nature yeah yeah, so sorry I had to interrupt, but that's, it's a very, that's it's funny. a similar thing.
1: Yeah, how is it that we skip all of the, like, <laughs> primers? It's like, oh, yeah, Gaia's garden. Ooh, that'd be cool. That, no, no, Straight to the, you know, the Bible of permaculture. Straight yeah. to the Bible of, you know, biodynamics. Yeah, that's so funny. Forget all the fluff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I think that
0: shows intention, though.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's like, why not, you mm-hmm. know? So we did that, uh, and I read that, and I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. This is incredible. There's something here. Then I read a lot of the introductory books, you know, Setpolster's Permaculture and Gaia's Garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next big one was uh, Dave Jackie and Eric Tonesmeyer's Edible Forest Gardens, which is a double volume set, also very textbooky. But it's those types of details that really made me fall in love with the patterns within nature and really want to take things to the next level. And, uh, you know, understand all of the details So, um, through that time, as I'm, as I'm learning all of this and we're starting to put it into practice, you know, planning out our, our small farm in Oregon, I started listening to Owen and, uh, started seeing a lot of other things about the financial services industry and banking. You know, when I started, I was like, oh, I work for a small community bank where We're doing great work, you know, Mm -hmm. providing the the lifeblood to businesses. They need loans. And, you know, kind of came through my own opinions about the whole, you know, being in debt thing. And I was like, ah, we got to get out of debt. How are we going to make that happen? And I was making great money at the time, but I didn't see any way of making that happen for at least 10 years because it's hard to pay off a mortgage. So then I, I was like, okay, well, if I can't be in debt, how can I Put other people in debt even if they're asking for it and you know needing business loans right. and all of that like I don't feel good about that mm-hmm. and um, I had a really important and life-changing conversation with one of my clients in Eugene uh, his name is Charlie he's one of the owners of the largest wholesaler of organic dry goods in the West Coast mm-hmm. so I'm sitting down with him in his office having lunch And, uh, you know, we're talking food forests and permaculture. And and he just kind of stops mid-conversation. He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? And he says, uh, you don't belong here. He's like, you're on the fence in between two opposing worlds. And he's like, you either need to focus on permaculture and building your farm, or you need to let that go and you need to focus on being the best banker you can. He's like, you can do either of those things. You're going to do great at either, but you can't do both. Right. One day the time is going to come that you're going to have to choose. And he was right. That time did ultimately come as a a result of bank mergers and acquisitions and us absorbing another team and, you know, that whole situation, you know, as as basically, not happy professionally anymore. My work atmosphere completely changed because we hired, you know, like 14 people from another bank and we were four people. So basically, they, while we absorbed them, the bank adopted their culture and I didn't like their culture. Right. And it was very clear that I was not on their team. Mm-hmm. So that was the big kick in the butt that I needed to make some changes. And so we were like, well, if we're gonna you know look at making a change let's make a drastic change let's chase the dream and so we decided to uh to do this and so through that whole process you know doing all of the farm stuff all the homestead stuff you know home repairs i had done a couple of studs up remodels on some homes just for fun me and my friends in my early 20s So when we moved out here, we had this, you know, grand vision of starting the farm, which we did. Um, We were like, no animals until the infrastructure is built. And then (laughs) COVID hit and I was like, holy freaking crap, get everything again, right? Like, like it's going down, they're pulling some shenanigans. So forget that, build all your infrastructure, Mm -hmm. we're getting animals. So we loaded up everything that you can imagine, you know, we had like. 30 sheep, and milk cows, and goats, and chickens, and geese, and ducks, and like pigs, and, and the whole thing. So
0: Now let me get to the core of like, why is having all your food close to you so important? What, what is it about controlling the inputs mm-hmm. that, that is like a core value of yours?
1: That's a really interesting question. It first started from just an aspect of resiliency right? Like some people's thing is money. Some people's thing is, is power and control. Mine's food, right? It's like, if I have my farm and I can produce my food, nobody can have leverage over me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it was really like just being like having been betrayed so much through my professional career and friendships and things like that. I was like, the only thing I can count on is me Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm not gonna trust the food system. we already didn't trust it, which is the whole reason we started you know an organic permaculture farm to begin with. Mm-hmm. But it was like food sovereignty, yeah, we can handle that right. but from that point it it has really changed and evolved as I've gotten into the 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 science and biological aspects of well, what is soil, what do we? you know, what are we made of, how does that all play together, and then a lot of the stuff that you've helped introduce me to, um, you know, with a lot of the energetics, there's, there's always been little markers, right? But through a lot of our conversations about just larger energy flows um, and then pairing that with what we're finding out about, like the deep, deep biological aspects of our whole environment it really became so much more and I realized that there's this tremendous bio and energetic feedback loop that allows us to more fully nest within our local environment Mm -hmm. and surroundings and that by doing that not only do we live a more full and rich life we're also a lot healthier Mm -hmm. as a result and so it's really you know had a much more significant shift for me to where it's literally a part of me, right? Everything that we eat is literally a part of you from certainly a nutritional value, but also a biological and energetic value that that's like gives you that deep-seated connection with your land. And the more that I get of that, the more of it I want.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen that in a lot of very well-rounded beings that I know, and I use the word being very specifically because it's not right to say person mm-hmm. or human, like beings. like I've seen this now with, I would say, more on the shaman spectrum mm-hmm. where there's this real knowledge of our interaction with the heaven and the earth. We're the bridge. And there's all always a cycling there's always a deepening of the cycling mm-hmm. and no matter what our bodies end up being back in the earth totally and one of my friends one of my good friends he said to me he goes my goal is that my body is as clean as possible when it returns to to my land
1: God, That just gave me goosebumps yeah that's so cool
0: Yeah. And he's really living it. Like he loves his farm. He takes care of his plants. Like he's, he's fully in it. He's the gentleman I told you about that, um, showed me the, the protection cycling with the, with the carbon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just seems like the people that I really, really tend to respect, they all have this energetic cycling going on with their land like there's no tomfoolery in the consciousness around the connection between you and the land yeah has that always been with you or is that something that has kind of just come as you've matured
1: i don't know that's a really interesting question i think that it has to some degree because even when we were living in I, I I shouldn't say we, because it wasn't my wife and family. Yeah. <laughs> but even when I was living in suburbia, you know, and I had my houses, I had this, this draw of, like, I should plant a garden.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I didn't know. I thought originally it was like, oh, it's, um, you know, it's a throwback to my childhood. It's, it's a comfort thing, mm-hmm. right? It'd be fun. But I think that it was probably more than that. And I think that that's part of the reason why... I always wanted to make my house my own, you mm-hmm. know, to do something different. Like in, in that house, we had, uh, we had black walls in black and white walls in like, uh, our like, I don't know if what, what you would call it, game room. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was just like, ah, oh, this is us, right. This, this would be cool. What if we did, you know, and same thing, like thinking about, you know, landscaping those things, it was all what felt right to me mm. not necessarily what looked good um but really why i say that's a really interesting question is i've always had this this draw to the ozarks and i don't know why i remember it's reading, your mormon upbringing i guess <laughs> <laughs> i remember reading like you know children's literature books you know like where the red Where the Red Fern Grows, and uh, like Summer of the Monkeys, and they were all set in the Ozarks. And for some reason, that just resonated with me. There's monkeys in
0: the Ozarks?
1: Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, Summer of the Monkeys. It was uh, a circus train or something like that crashed, and all the monkeys got out. Uh I think it was in in the the Oklahoma Ozarks.
0: Oh, like near Harrison, Arkansas? Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you that don't know that joke, look it up. (laughs) <laughs> the goblins totally,
1: so this boy uh goes about trying to catch the monkeys because there's a reward and that and they're poor mm-hmm. and so he's like i'm gonna I'm like gonna save up and I forget what he wanted to buy with it, but so he's trapping the monkeys and and turning them back into the circus people in order to get to get money and so for whatever reason I've just had this this draw, and now that I'm here and now that I know I'm supposed to be right here I kind of look back and I wonder if that was something more the a distant connection to something that my body and consciousness knew I needed Mm -hmm. you know where you always say that location is frequency like just that that frequency draw of of belonging here
0: Mm -hmm. I I have to say that I mean literally the month that I was introduced to biodynamics and Sh- and Steiner. I was introduced to the Ozarks in a very weird way. The guy that I did my first PDC with, he told us all, all of us in the course, that he was moving to the Ozarks to build the Ark for the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now, who knows if he was lying or not or whatever, but this guy knew his stuff, man. Like, he really knew his stuff. and I wouldn't doubt it, though. I mean, I've heard some stories. And I was there. I knew nothing about agriculture. The only reason why I was even vectored into that was I was renting Mm -hmm. on a farm where they were having a PDC. And so I was like, I have nothing to do. I ain't got a job. Yeah. And so... I was there and I'm meeting these cool cats from all over the world and this guy was like incredible and I'm reading Victor Schauburger and they're talking about, you know, water courses and mm-hmm. birming and water management and I was just like, just blown away. And then he tells us that he's going to Arkansas.
1: hmm
0: And, you know, I, there was a bunch of like super liberal Californians that were in the class that were like, Arkansas. hmm and he was like yep and i didn't think anything of it but that's like it's kind of funny that my agriculture like when that started to come into my consciousness mm-hmm. that you know the ozarks was implied and then my bestie and i we were going up to this farm to harvest a bunch of oak ro- they call it roble. And the only C D that he had that wasn't compromised mm-hmm. was the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. <laughs> <laughs> so literally for hours we just listened to Ozark Mountain Daredevils oh, while fantastic. we're in, while we're in the oak forest of the Talamanca Mountains. Uh, and so there was this sort of weird weird vectoring going on for me also.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah. And then you actually moved to Arkansas and then we yeah. were like, Yeah, let's go. Yeah, Missouri's the land
0: the land was stunning. I mean, you saw the yeah. old farm yeah. and you saw the area that I was in. It just didn't have any water. Yeah. And that's a huge We knew that that was a temporary spot for us. Totally. We hadn't found our tribe yet. You guys like the greater community was our tribe here and we wanted water and mm-hmm. as you know our land has the has great water. Totally. So Totally. Um yeah, that was just, like, that was monumental. I kind of threw you off track, because you talked about the, the book, the the two books that mm-hmm. were having you kind of vector towards the Ozarks. What was the second book that you said? Uh, so it was Summer of the Monkeys and Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah, I've heard of that book, but I'd never read it. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Is it more like a child's book, or is it... Yeah, okay. yeah both
1: of them are child's books, so... Okay. I had to get those for my son, actually. I'm sure he'd read them in a day. But yeah. basically, that one... Um, a, a kid gets two tracking hounds and mm-hmm. so it's all about how he trains these dogs and he's going through the hollows of the of the Ozarks or excuse me the haulers of the Ozarks Hollers. and he's doing a lot of like uh, you know raccoon hunting and, and all of that stuff and you know really great adventure story and mm-hmm. I just equated I guess the Ozarks in my mind at that point of like freedom yeah. right it's like this uh, this wilderness that's not exactly wilderness, but it's kind of wilderness, uh-huh. and it's just like this um, this playground of of adventure, yeah. You know, and a different kind of adventure than what I had growing up in Utah. I mean, we'd go up to the mountains. You know, when I was a Boy Scout, my favorite thing was when we would go on our we we'd alternate every other year. Uh, one year we'd go to an official scout camp for mm-hmm. a week do the merit badges and I was like yeah you know that's all right you know Camp Evergreen or you know Bear Lake or whatever but what I really liked was the alternate year where we would go up into the High Uintas for a week and we would just find a campsite and we would just camp Mm -hmm. and just do whatever we wanted to do up there but it was a different kind right it's like wilderness adventure versus the idea that I had here wasn't so much the same kind of wilderness it was more tame but in a different way yeah because there's still an enormous amount of wildness that you know was here and was in those those books
0: yeah we have we we have a friend we do yeah it's right up there cool it's i've been trying to put my finger on it i mean we've only been here a year do you have any idea why there was an exodus here of people like
1: what like which time I know, right? That's that's what's so interesting to me in part about this area is that every so often, uh, I think the last time it happened was the, was the 60s and 70s, so I don't know if it's uh, you know a 40 or 50-year cycle, mm-hmm. but every so often you have this exodus of people that are drawn to the Ozarks, whether it's cheap land or the idea of freedom or... I don't I'm know. I'm actually
0: talking about the exodus from this area oh
1: from this because you always
0: have your back to landers that go to sure. areas where there's cheap land
1: well I think that those two things are connected yeah yeah you know I think that you know the, the exodus from here a big part of it from what I understand is economics you know there's the, the people that don't want to hustle here because there's not really that many economic opportunities that are just handed to you you kind of have to make your own way and Not a lot of people want to do that, but the other part of it is I think people come, they realize how hard it is here, and they're like, forget this, I'm out. You know, and sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes it doesn't. You know, in talking to Duncan, sometimes it's like people move here and they they can't move back because they spend all their money. And it used to be that you know, you'd sell a place here and you really wouldn't get anything for it. Right. And so then it's like, where can you go? And so the, you get, I think, that class of people that are just stuck. You mm-hmm. know, and it's pretty apparent as you drive around some of these places to see who those people are. because so it looks like a freaking bomb has gone off. Mm-hmm. The house is run down and they're just, they're just ghetto. You know, Those are the people that have no choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we all have a choice, but whatever. And then you have the other kind of people that, you know, are really thriving here. So I think that, you know, the exodus away, there's got to be a natural filtration and screening process that happens here as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people get spit out mm-hmm. because they just don't fit. Mm-hmm. for whatever reason whether it's you know an energetic thing or whether it's a weakness thing I'm, I'm not really sure but the, it happens it's both ways yeah. frequently.
0: Yeah it's pretty interesting to see how low of a population it is here because I could see why there would be a lower population in where we were in Arkansas because mm-hmm. the terrain was a little bit more difficult to n- maneuver Mm-hmm. And get from point A to point B. But this place is like gentle rolling hills. Mm-hmm. It's nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, but there is always, you know, each person has their own astro cartography, mm-hmm. like what is specific to their frequency. So I get it. And um, I do notice that the the female folk have a tendency to kind of especially the ones that are from coastlines. Mm hmm get to feel like a little landlocked here Mm -hmm. and here, here and there. So I could see what that, that would cause some dispersion in that, in that way. But so getting back into your, into what you've done, you came here, Mm -hmm. you start this farm, COVID hits.
1: We get everything you can possibly think of to, you know, be fully functional as a farm. Mm -hmm. And that was great for a while, Um, you know, starting up. was a lot of work and eventually got to the point where I was um part of it was like I should probably start working a little bit here and there but then uh, another big part of it was opportunity came knocking Mm -hmm. um you know people so I I built my shop uh, our shop house and because of that I got hired to do a little bit of work for Duncan. And then because of that, he had a a client that bought a house and that needed a remodel. And uh, nobody was available to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. The guy that he knows that would want to do it was booked out like a year. So he's like, hey, do you want to Mm -hmm. take take a crack at this? And I was like, sure. So that kind of wet the whistle of like, oh, I guess I could do, you know, construction work. Right. And, um... In talking to other people in the area, it wasn't, it wasn't a new story. There, there was a severe need for people that would show up, that would answer the phone, that would do a good job. And I was like, I can do all those things. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, it was a way to bring in some extra money, but then also it was a way to help other people that had moved here you know, be employed. Yeah. And so it was like, OK, I can help myself. I can help others, both the customers and, and the men. Like, yeah, we should do this. But my heart has and always will be like the farm. Right. Um, one of the challenging things about being here is that some people literally have no idea what organic means. <laughs> like my like my old neighbor, you know, Tex, you know, we the the first year that we were raising pigs, and they were they were good looking pigs. He came down and he saw him and and he's like, "How much do you take for one of those?" And I was like, "I don't think you can afford those pigs text They're organic." He's like, "What's that mean?" So I had to explain to him like what organic was, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Well, how much do you want for them?" I was like, "I don't know. you know it, they're, they're probably going to be close to you know four fifty five dollars a pound." And he's like, "Whoa." I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's probably not going to work for me. I'm going to lose money that way. So it's one of the uh, amazing opportunities, yet limiting factors for what we do. Was this
0: one of those really fatty pigs?
1: No, this was a normal pig, not one of the. Like
0: one of the, like, the, the super just delicious, like no, yeah. pure Lardone. Pigs no. that you, you sold me?
1: No, those are those are the epitome of deliciousness.
0: <laughs> These were
1: just normal, normal pigs, not the super special ones. So uh
0: <laughs> you just see their grease trail as right? they walk. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to find them when they get out because hey, it's yeah. just you know their skids going. We got them.
1: And when they're little and you can wrangle them, you just pick them up and hold them over the pan you know and then you don't need butter or anything like that it's, it's just like right Got there it. and then you set it about its you know little path and goes on that's what it wants to do
0: we season our cast iron by putting our pans right underneath adam stevens piggies exactly yep
1: exactly uh for those that you know obviously you don't know we raise cooney cooney uh, american guinea hog cross and they're both lard breeds of pigs so they uh, they're smaller and they're very fatty, which when you cook with lard is like a phenomenal thing. Yeah. Um, so the the impediment yet benefit is that Missouri's like at least ten years behind the food scene. Where that really comes in handy is if you come from a, a an organic hub like Eugene, you got to see all of the organic food businesses that started, the ones that succeeded, and the ones that failed, and it's just like you just kind of got to follow the template, right? Mm-hmm. We, we get the uh, insane fortune of being on the forefront of that. Yeah. It, the downside is that it takes time. Mm-hmm. And so with a lot of people moving here, it's speeding up. But how that plays into what we do now is we kind of hit that point where we're like, okay, we have, you know, we want, we, we ran a small CSA on our farm in Oregon And i was like oh that would be great to do that again but our population density is so low and most of the locals don't know what organic is and several of them don't really value it so it became to the point of like either i grow this food and this produce and i take it to st louis or i take it to springfield or i do something different i was like i really have no interest in sitting in a farmer's market especially with you know a three-hour round trip to Springfield, or a six-hour round trip to St. Louis. I'm like, I don't I don't want to do that, so what can we do? And uh, we hatched the idea of a seed company. Right. You know, because Baker Creek is here. They do extremely well, but they're also um, not the greatest. And um, so we we looked at what we could do, because we're nerds. We've got, as we were planning out the garden, we were like, oh my gosh, we've got like 450 varieties of like heirlooms and like really rare stuff what if we started a seed company Mm -hmm. and so we decided to do that so we've got the farm the construction company and the seed company and then you know that just leads to all kinds of other things like what else can we do
0: how about an educational platform yes exactly (laughs) and thus born what did we call it practical innovation Yes, yes exactly
1: exactly so, it, and it fits because that's always been where my heart is, right? The, the idea of, that we hatched with the permaculture farm is like, I want, cause a lot of backing up, a lot of permaculture lives on a small scale. You know, when people, it's, it's really cute when people are like, I, I planted my permaculture. And you're like, you have no idea what you just said. That's not a thing. Yeah. You know, what they mean is like they did companion planting with trees and vegetables. And it's like, Whoa! Like, that's great. I'm really excited for people who do that, but it's such a small sliver. And most people's exposure to permaculture is backyard scale. But then you have the flip side where you have, like, the Mark Shepherds of the world or the Jeff Lawton's of the world, where they have these really large farm operations that are really robust and awesome, but they're very few and far in between. And to my knowledge, like if you go up to Mark Shepherd's farm in Wisconsin, you're not gonna see anything home scale. You're gonna see like this massive, basically like permaculture tree farm where he's a commercial grower. He doesn't deal with like Joe and Bill and whoever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what if we made a place that showed you both where you could come and you could see what permaculture looks like on a larger scale, a small farm scale, because we don't have thousands of acres, but you can also see how you can apply this on a home scale in your own backyard, on your own homestead, Mm -hmm. and then mix all of these things together so you can come out and see different ways of doing things and wet your whistle, learn about it, and then go and do on whatever scale you want to do and you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with and so we wanted to cover everything from you know urban to you know farm scale permaculture Mm -hmm. and so that was that was like the the big goal is a place that you can see observe touch feel interact and learn and then go do because you know that's ultimately what's going to help us take the next step Mm -hmm. is more people doing because we all need to live, right? We yeah. all need to eat. And, you know, it's my opinion that patterning our lives based on what we see within nature is the only way forward, that's realistically.
0: Right. That's so true. we got to biomimic as much as we can. Exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. And the cycle is right, you know? Mm-hmm. We're in between, you know, whatever you would call financial cycles and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Usually the that's... That's akin to like when there is a, a normal forest and lightning strikes and all the mm-hmm. dead wood burns out. Totally. And we're kind of in that period right now. And as we move forward, it's going to be uh, paramount that we have the capacity to recycle, upcycle, be able to efficiently utilize what is close to us. Totally. Totally. And I know that's a principle that you and I really, really geek out on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so much fun when you can actually see something uh, that somebody else is trash and then mm-hmm. upcycle it into something that's like
1: totally. so super useful. Totally. And I was just thinking about that today with smudge pots. I was like, dude, come on. Like, why are we not using this? I want to make these and use them. Do you know what a smudge pot is? I have an idea. What's your, what
0: what do you?
1: So my idea, my understanding of a smudge pot is that it is a burner that uses typically waste fuels. So used oil, Mm -hmm. um, other things like that. You can mix it with diesel or you can do kerosene or whatever, but it's basically an outdoor heater. And they were extensively used in orchards to keep frosts away when you get that frost that comes through that you're not expecting and you've got acres and acres of trees. How do you keep them warm just to get through that frost so you don't lose all your blossoms? Enter the smudge pot. And so I've been thinking of what can I do with all the oil from the tractor and the UTV and all of that. And I was talking to Nick and he mentioned something, but it wasn't a smudge pot, but he was like, no, there's tons of uses for for used motor oil. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna start saving my then. And uh, and Nick runs, you know, a mobile mechanic spot uh, truck, basically. And so we could probably get about all the used oil that we want. So I finally got around to, like somebody else had mentioned smudge pots. I'm like, I'm gonna look into these. I think I know what they are. Uh And so I looked into them the other day and I was just like, holy crap, this would be so awesome to be able to deploy these things around the farm because that even though it's an older technology that's the practical innovation no there's so much there's
0: so much of the older technology totally. that's so relevant you know when you said smudge pot you know where my mind went to <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking of india where they would smudge yeah. the forehead i was like what's adam doing right now <laughs> smudge pot that makes a lot more sense to me as a okay because you yeah. could smudge with that i don't think you'd want to i wouldn't want to yeah, we used to use the old motor oil in Costa Rica to keep the termites away from the mm-hmm. bases of our buildings. Sure. We'd create, like, a little canal mm-hmm. and put the used motor oil. Super toxic, smelled terrible. Yeah. But the ants and the termites would never cross that. Yeah.
1: Well, what else are you going to do in the jungle? Yeah, true. I mean, it's...
0: It's recycling in a good way. Yeah. And
1: it's mm-hmm. going to break down eventually. Mm-hmm. While it may not be ideal, it's like you're you're balancing that between, like, your house getting eaten right and putting a little oil on the ground. So, you know, we we don't live in an ideal world at all. You have compromises based on your long term goals. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, that's that's something that like really got me excited because we have um, I don't know if you want to call it a problem. We have a unique climate situation here on the Ozark on the Ozark Plateau. We have the largest temperature swings of anywhere in the continental U S over a a short time period. So we can literally go from, you know, negative 20 to 70 degrees in three days. And so what's happened every single year that we've, except for one that we've been here is we warm up, we're looking great. The, the peaches wake up, you know, the apricots wake up and they, they bloom and the pollinators are out and you're like, oh, we're going to get a great crop. And then you get one day where it'll come through and it's like 34 degrees and you lose all your blossoms. But it's just one day. And it's like similar in the fall, is like, you know, what's today, December what? Sixth. And it's like 60 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. We're hanging out here in jackets. Like things will grow. We've had a few frosts. We have a couple of hard freezes, but not anything crazy. Our, our average last frost date excuse me our average first frost date is october 20th but what happens every year that we've been here is you get like one or two days of frost that kills your garden and then you get like four weeks of excellent weather Mm -hmm. and so having little things available to you to just move the needle just a little bit just ward off a late frost or an early frost and now you've given yourself the gift of like multiple weeks of season extension yeah and if we can do that with something that you are just going to drive down to the auto parts store and just recycle it just to get it out of your hair. Like, why wouldn't we do that?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I cannot wait. Like, this year we're putting our greenhouse in. We're going to do the rocket mass heating mm-hmm. under the... the what? I want to do it on the northern... Well, it's actually going to be on the southern wall because the northern wall internally... Is gonna pick up the southern sun in the winter, mm-hmm. so that's gonna be that's gonna be ther- that's gonna be the thermal bank for the passive heating. Mm-hmm. But then the active heating will be on that southern face,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that I'm gonna mm-hmm. try and have a greenhouse all year. That's have what the, I want to do too. Have that going all year.
1: I have this crazy dream that I've been hatching. So we have. At, we drove past it on the UTV. We have that uh, southern, southern facing slope there, yeah. down that little valley. I want to put in like a modified Wallapini. So it'll be a partially sunken in greenhouse. Uh-huh. It'll have a cold trough in it. To the back of us, we have the hill. But what's, what's going to work about that is it's not a large hill, right? It's flat and actually kind of rolls off the other way. And so all of the water that falls there is going to drain away from that structure. Nice. So I want to carve into that hill, take the fill, dump it on top, get like 12 feet high, uh, take a cue from Paul Wheaton and get pond liner Mm -hmm. and put it over that because dry dirt is an enormous thermal mass and it insulates very, very well. Uh Put a pond liner over that, cap that with more soil so that it grows and is covered, but we have a dry core underneath it. So we'll have this this cutout. That'll be the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. Along the back, I want to put in... IBC totes, uh, three stacks, mm-hmm. three high. So we'll have what would that be? Uh, that would be 900 gallons. Three of those would be, you know, 2,700 gallons nice. in there. Haven't figured out the fish situation, but fish somewhere in there, and between my stacks, along the back wall, I want to plant my citrus trees, nice. and giant planters. And then along the front wall of that, in front of the cold drainage trough I want to build like a massive rocket mass heater and have a full year tropical greenhouse and I think uh, it would be very very low energy because of the enormous thermal mass behind us plus the water plus the southern exposure plus on those cold days yeah the, the rocket mass heater like I
0: think will be golden yeah yeah, the, our house design that we actually have is that the the southern, the what would be considered the northern wall mm-hmm. um, of the actual greenhouse is actually part of our house, which mm-hmm. is earth bag. Yeah. And I'm going to do that all with, the I'm going to sheathe the earth bags with solid ferro cement mm-hmm. that's essentially going to be black because nice. I'm going to put biochar in it. Mm-hmm. And that thing will stay nice and and toasty during the winter months. Totally, because the the sun is so low in the horizon. I'm not used to that. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't lived at this latitude before. Yeah, and and then I'll put the I'll have a rocket mass heater in that, but it'll be a small one because the in that one I'm going to do a double decker. I'm going to do two stories. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and I want to have I want to have a bunch of tropical trees i haven't decided which ones i want to do yet um i know that we're definitely going to try to have a coconut palm nice because can you keep those short you can they they sell dwarfs i can get i can get a dwarf nice um yeah in fact it's actually you know how you get a dwarf coconut palm Mm -mm. Uh, so there's a way in which when the coconut's sprouting when you have you ever eaten coconut sprout no oh my god good it's so good nice it's like um, it's nature's cotton candy
1: no kidding
0: yeah so the coconut itself it when it's really young it's mainly liquid inside right the oil layer is starting to form Mm -hmm. and then that oil layer gets thicker and thicker and then that's like the hard white coconut meat that you that you see then after that stage, usually it will fall and somehow, some way, there will be some way that the internal starts to ferment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When the bacteria gets in there, because coconut oil is antibacterial, only one specific bacteria gets in there. It starts to ferment and then you get this foam, they call it a spuma,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that will grow and that's the start of the tree. Okay and that when you eat it has a little bit of a coconut flavor a little bit sweet and it's Mm -hmm. incredible for your body like i've lived on that stuff and to get a dwarf coconut where the sprout is Mm -hmm. you plant that upside down
1: okay and so it forces it to loop around it doesn't loop around it sends
0: a second one up oh so if it's if it's it, say say this is the bottom of it and it's normally growing this way like a yeah. pineapple yeah you plant it like this, and it somehow knows okay I'm not going to survive going this way so it sends a smaller one up the other side.
1: Interesting.
0: Why does that work? I have no idea. The the <laughs> I told you about my neighbor. He had a hundred and thirty acres and it he had like thousands of fruit trees. It's mm-hmm. a frugivore. He's the gentleman I told you about where he was growing so much fruit. Nobody mm-hmm. can eat all that fruit. So all the deer ended yeah. up on his property. And you're that, like, start hunting. And I was like, hey, I put up a deer blind here. Yeah. And he was like, oh, like aghast, <laughs> <a> <laughs> you know. I was like, you have the perfect hunting preserve here. Yeah. But that's all legal down there. That was so funny. I, I caught him so off guard when I said that. But. He knew everything. He was a professional arborist in the states. Cool. So, like, he he's like you. Like, he went down there and was just like ah, and like learn from every wild crafter, mm-hmm. all the local practices. Um, and then he's actually the person who turned me on to aircrete. Oh
1: no, kidding. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah, he and I bought a couple of aircrete machines and tried to make it work. He was trying to do it with magnesium cement, but he mm-hmm. bought the wrong type of magnesium. But he when it came to agriculture, this guy knew everything. Nice. He was a, a huge wealth of knowledge. And um yeah, he taught me that with coconuts.
1: Interesting. I wonder if it's like so it gets flipped over. And maybe it's for lack of a better word, thinking like, oh, now I'm upside down. Like, this probably happened because I don't have, like, a full soil depth. Like, there's a, a restrictive layer, I was, therefore w- I grow smaller. I
0: think it's actually, I think there's something to, to that, because usually coconut palms are on the coast. Mm-hmm. And so what you see on the coast is, you know, the coconuts fall off, the tide comes in, mm-hmm. pulls the coconuts out to the ocean. And then redistributes them along the coast. Yeah. And they roll up and then they might find a place to sit and Mm -hmm. settle. But they're always being rolled. Yeah. No matter what stage they're in, Mm -hmm. you know. And then when they do actually start to send their roots out, it's usually in sand Mm
1: -hmm. that's getting
0: wet. Right. Well, sand that gets wet, the, the roots aren't grabbing onto anything. Yeah. So that it gets rolled out to the ocean.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's just this beautiful way that God designed it. It's like, okay, this, this is going to roll more than likely. I got to make mm-hmm. sure that even if it's right side up or upside mm-hmm. down, it's going to grow.
1: Yeah, it's going to figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're very resilient. That's nice. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, coconut is, it's a miraculous plant. That's why I want it on my property. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you can dwarf it, like, why not? Plus, the dude I was telling you about that said that whole that was going to build in the Ozarks, the, mm-hmm. the arc for the CIA. Mm-hmm. He said that he had seen, a, he showed us like the Bill Deagle map or whatever yeah. back in the day. And it showed that there was going to be another earthquake along the Laurentine, mm-hmm. was it the Laurentine Shelf? I don't know the
1: name of the shelf. Are you talking about the, the New Madrid situation? It's New Madrid.
0: The New Madrid is on the Laurentine. Okay. One, one of them is on the Laurentine aquifer. Okay. And there's a shelf above that, like a mm-hmm. limestone shelf. And they were predicting that this area was going to be tropical.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I would miss my apples, though. I know. <laughs> I'm like,
0: no, I don't want the tropics again. I'm like, yeah, right. I've been trying to, I've been in the tropics my entire life. I'm like... I'm really liking this this more temperate, yeah you know weather, yeah, um
1: dude think how big the copperheads would get if it went tropical,, Ugh. I don't think they'd survive no
0: i don't I never saw, I hope not I never saw copperheads in the tropics,
1: well, but we have them here. I'm just wondering like now they get to thrive all year long,
0: no. I don't know, like I'm seeing here, like usually when you places get more tropical, things get smaller, okay, yeah. The light is different. So here our light cycle, I mean I, I haven't been here that long, but the way I interpret the light mm-hmm. is the light is shorter cycles. Mm-hmm. But in the summertime it's much more intense. Mm. And I don't I can't explain why that would be a, a more northern latitude. Um, like you get greater heat, the closer you are to the equator, right. but heat, like heat, temperature, light, they, they don't mm-hmm. all necessarily, they're not, it's not always like a one to one to one correlation. Right. right. So, I'm um, I'm still new. I'm still trying to like, kind of adjust and like, you know, really temper. Is this just my perception? Is this the air quality? Like there's so many things to consider. mm mm-hmm. But I noticed that the light here has a more of a piercing. Yeah, I could see that. And where in the tropics, it's much more diffuse. Yeah. So you have more of it. Yeah. But it's like, it's just, diff- it's a diffuse energy. It-
1: yeah, because like, like Curacao was the most recent tropical place I went, right? And, uh, yeah, it was like, you would walk out and it was hot. Mm-hmm. And it was sunny, and you you know would burn if you were out there too long. But it was like a it was like a slow roast. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you come out here in you know August, and it's like like you said it's piercing. It's just like oppressively hot, but not not temperature wise. But like no, it's a when piercing. the sun hits you, it's like piercing. It's a piercing yeah. light.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. I've been trying to explain that to people. It's like it because there's a whole way of interpreting energy when it's coming at you Mm -hmm. relative to when it's going away from you so if the sun is rising in the east and it's rising to the zenith above you during midday Mm -hmm. let's say it's at 11 o'clock And then 12 o'clock, it's directly over you. And then 1 o'clock, it's exactly at the same arc length away from you as it was at 11 Mm o'clock. No matter what, at 11 o'clock, the light is hitting you more intensely. At 1 o'clock, the temperature is greater because the ground has had more thermal gain. Sure. But the quality of the light is less because it's moving away from you.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Which is why you get the, you know, the golden hour, right, at the end of the day. Right. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and so that's, that's dealing, because I've tried to explain that. It's like if somebody's coming at you with a flashlight, that as it's moving towards you, there's an energy that's pushing on you because the, the, the frequency length is reducing as it gets closer to you. Even if it appears that it's the same distance from you, but that light is moving away from you, it's a different intensity. Mm-hmm. So this is, gets like to the biblical thing of like there is a defined east and there is a defined west. Yeah, I can and see the, that. And the light always rises in the east, so there's mm-hmm. rising intensity, and then falls in the west. There's mm-hmm. diminishing intensity as that as that's going away from you. Interesting it's very that's why i'm like i nerd so hard about the geography relative to the axis mundi relative to what you experience when and where and how like it's so specific
1: yeah yeah it is it's everywhere i lived has been different in that regard yeah you know the sun here is definitely different than the sun in utah which is definitely different than the sun in Oregon. Yeah. you know, Which is definitely different from the sun in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm just thinking through like summer days. So you're outside and you're working. And yeah, I, I could see like when you get going in the summer, in the morning, those are your highly productive hours. And I, it could be like you're, mm-hmm. you're taking on the energy so then you take the break and you go back outside and you may not necessarily be tired but it's heavier feeling definitely it's harder to get things done yeah because it's you're not receiving that energy
0: no it's literally going away from you like the Son of God is even though you can see it it's the mm-hmm. difference between seeing headlights and taillights Headlights are always more intense than yeah. taillights yeah. And I know, like, depending on what how people model their universe, like, no, it's a sphere. It's all the same. No, it's not. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> this gets all the way back to like the the whole biodynamic aspect of looking at life mm-hmm. and looking at just how intricately beautiful. Oh yeah. This this system is, and the more you pay attention to it, the more it kind of reveals its. It's nuance, mm-hmm. it's detail, and just like any beautiful woman, it wants you to know its details. <laughs> totally, totally. So I think we should like wrap this up. I kind of want to, I want to um, like tell people what we're about to get into I, I, <laughs> as a as a as a partnership, in the sense that um, I'm so excited uh, to be able to jump in and have a cohort in actually sharing the the practical innovation totally because you're the first person i've met that we match each other with enthusiasm Mm -hmm. with all the stuff for those of you like we will call each other like a bunch of times during the day well what about this and so um we're about to embark on some like a lot of fun yeah a lot of fun things and we're going to bring that to market in a way that's entertaining and mm-hmm. educational and innovative innovation drives us both totally. practicality drives us both totally and um i'm just i'm so stoked to do that
1: yeah yeah me too it's kind of hard uh, in some ways to to talk about what the future holds because i honestly don't know right <laughs> i don't know? know either it's like I envision we're going to have these things where it's like, okay, this is the thing we're doing. You know, we'll have the different, uh, different series for lack of a better term. But then what I'm, I'm obviously really excited about all of it, but I'm really excited about the, the try stuff series. Yeah. It's like wild hairs. Like I have no idea what we're doing. We're just going to try something and just see what happens. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's really exciting. And, um, something that I really appreciate about you that, I don't get with a lot of other people is you also are extremely eclectic as well as like energetic about everything. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, can we do that? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, cause I'm so all over the place with everything that I, I really have a hard time constraining myself to like one area of focus. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's always, um, I think it's incredibly enjoyable for me, but frustrating for a lot of other people is I'm constantly pivoting between like different types of projects and different interests. And it's always like, um, if I think I can do what I should, Mm -hmm. right. And that's not necessarily true. I've learned that. (laughs) I've learned that lesson the hard way. But that's like the way I approach life It's just like, is that within my ability? probably therefore I should do it you know and that's been an incredible teacher sometimes good sometimes bad but um, that's something that might frustrate some people but I think that there's a certain type of person that's going to really appreciate how weird and scattered we're going to be at times because we're just going to come out of left field with this thing that you know maybe they've never been exposed to or exposed to in that way that's so unrelated to so many of the other things until we bring it back together and tie it in and be like this is that piece that fits here yeah here's the function stack and it's that that mind-blowing epiphany of like didn't even know that was possible
0: well the more you function stack the more you understand that this is a holographic reality yeah and what i mean by that is like at least the way I see it, it's all related. Mm-hmm. Like, it might seem like me talking about ferro cement has nothing to do with rocket mass heating mm-hmm. and has nothing to do with biochar over there or a dome. Mm-hmm. But then you zoom out and you're like, oh, well, the biochar going into the ferro cement that was created from the rocket mass heater is most efficiently used in a dome shape.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like... Totally. So... The only reason why it doesn't look like these things are related is mm-hmm. just because there's a, a, a lack of a broader view. Yeah, context. Exactly. And we'll bring that. Totally. We'll, we'll constantly bring that to the fold of being like, look, if the grand context is to honor God's creation by efficiently utilizing what he's provided in a beautiful way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: guess what? It's all related. Totally. And it's gonna be a lot of fun totally and we have a goal to make this fun because there's a there's a lot of really brilliant people that are boring as all get out and i love those people (laughs) i don't (laughs) i have my my adhd kicks in and i'm like oh geez like what's going on like i um which, by the way, Dr. Andrew Kaufman told me yesterday that I don't have ADHD. Oh, good. Yes. So. I was really worried about that. <laughs> it was really funny. He didn't realize I was joking about it. He got really serious with me. Uh-huh. I was like, "No, you know, I know. I'm, this is just for effect. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> no, I'm super stoked. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I'm not no. trying to predict the future. I just know I get to kick it. And totally. Have fun. And, yeah. And, and try some, some really cool stuff. Uh, yeah.
1: The other thing, other aspect of it, from a selfish perspective, that I'm really looking forward to is you learn so much more as you're teaching. Yes. Right. You really get connected with it, and so we're going to learn way more about all of this stuff as we're trying to to create modules and teach people about this, because then that's going to spur like, well, why does it do that? Mm -hmm. Well, what happens if I do this? Right. And so that's where I think we can see a lot of innovation happen as we're teaching on the fly which is completely organic which therefore like is more impactful as well Mm -hmm. because it's it's real right Mm -hmm. it's not staged and it's not um, it's not something that you can ever anticipate Mm -hmm. and so there's a level of excitement for everybody and I get so excited about being excited about other people being excited like nothing one of my greatest joys is when I get to talk about something that I'm passionate about and I see the other person light up right and I'm just like yes we're vibing on this like you understand why I'm so excited about this and we're just going back and forth Mm -hmm. and you and I have that but I envision like that carrying forward and then other people getting excited about that because that's you know one thing i really appreciate about your audience is that they're just excited in general yeah you know looking at the chat even though i'm not in it very often because it gets so robust (laughs) so (laughs) so quickly is everybody's just like well what about this well did you see this and have you have you looked into that and um so i think that that's a really good energy that i'm looking forward to helping foster and um it's just it's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: It is gonna be a ton of fun. We're gonna be on the platform that was created by uh Tom Barnett and his cohorts. We're gonna announce all this probably officially in January or February. Mm-hmm. But uh I wanted to get this out as like a as a New Year's, like everyone's gonna be, you know, with their with their family near the end of the year. And uh, I just kind of wanted to give you guys a little bit teaser of, of what's going to be on the on on the docket for next year. Totally. And get introduce people to you that haven't haven't got to meet you yet. Well, yeah, I hide out. <laughs> <laughs> or Not, maybe
1: more accurately, I'm spread thin.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mr. Pervy Bear, where can uh, people find you?
1: All over. So. Uh, Obviously, like we have our local construction stuff, Legends Repair and Remodel. That's going to be a very small section of people. Grateful Harvest Seeds is the seed company. That's uh, gratefulharvestseeds.com. We have uh, open pollinated and heirloom vegetables, flowers, and herbs. Apparently, we also have an Instagram on that that I'm working on filling out. Um, I have some really, really cool stuff that I'm excited to do there. I just need to, to prioritize that.
0: Do you fill your orders in a bikini? Because I hear that helps with the SEO on Instagram. (laughs) I don't think anybody wants to see that. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That's it. No, it's more
1: like... For me, it's exciting because it's nerdy, right? It's like one of our customers sent us a seed catalog from 1900, Iowa Seed Company. And it's so interesting. I was looking through tomatoes, for example. I counted 26 varieties of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. We have nearly 50 this was a bigger seed company than us and i looked through those and there's only one tomato i've heard of what i found really fascinating about it too is that like we all have this idea of of heirlooms right oh these things have been around forever and so on and so forth And they haven't not every single one, but several of the tomatoes in there, they're like, brand new, new introduction, right? And these are things that now we would call heirlooms. But in 1900, it was like the cutting edge of plant breeding. right? And so it's kind of interesting to see the the difference in how they're talking about things and how what's new to them, like what persisted and what didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the, the way in which they market is so different and fascinating from like what we see now um so there's there's that i'm really excited about but then like bringing in a lot of the the soil stuff that i'm passionate about about the biology and exposing people to something that they didn't even know was possible Mm -hmm. you know where we're talking about you know full genetic expression of plants and therefore like when you eat that now you're getting full genetic expression and what what our lives can be what our children's lives can be what our health and our animals and our children like all these all these really exciting things that i don't see any other seed company talking about Mm -hmm. right and that's what i'm really excited to build out is like yeah you can get seeds from us and you should get seeds from us (laughs) but, but more importantly it's it's the it's everything that goes with that right it's it's like through our company growing we're able to do more of that and and put more of that out there which enriches everybody's life because Mm -hmm. these things are so niche we'll say that on an academic level not very many people have that interest in them Mm -hmm. but we can make them fun and exciting and show you how it actually makes sense and why we should be concerned with these things Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: that'll play really well with what we want to do um but anyway that's why I'm excited about, about that mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um and then um for those bears or you know, other people on taria Times app, you can find me there under Mr. Permi Bear. Awesome. And wherever else I happen to pop up.
0: That's great. That's great. Well you'll definitely be in the biocharisma fold and then once we figure out all the stuff with the with the Barnett platform mm-hmm. we'll be in there. Yep. We'll probably be What would we call it? PracticalInnovation.me. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Purby, it's so good to hang. Thanks, man. You as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure I bring some good coffee next time again. That was so good. Yes.
1: You get the raw cream in there from the lovely cows. Oh, yeah. Nothing better.
0: Nothing better. All right. You ought to know.
1: Well, now you, you ought to know by now.
0: That was Mr. Permy Bear. Uh, Go check out his seed company at Grateful Harvest Seeds. When uh, we initially met, that's how I reached out to him. And I mean, there was immediate response, wonderful product. Uh, Everything this guy does is bang up and we're going to uh, have a lot of fun with what our future endeavors together. What just to give you a little preview of about what we're about to film like it's it's snowing now in the Ozarks. Uh, We have to wait to springtime to to break ground on a few projects but we're going to break ground on a greenhouse on our farm which will will essentially be heated through thermal mass heating. So I'll use my biochar kilns and rocket retorts as uh, the the heating element to keep us in in the green, as you'd say, our greenhouse going all year round while making biochar. So we'll be stacking functions, uh, Mr. Permi style. And then we're also going to be building a dome on my neighboring property. And this dome, we're going to go ahead and put, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at it. I'll be teaching his construction company, Legends Repair and Remodel, how to do ferro cement and aircrete. And uh, they'll be teaching me, continue to teach me about how to do foundations in an area where there's freeze and thaw cycles. But uh, we're gonna be building a dome that's essentially indestructible. <laughs> For uh, a new client of mine, or I should say, a new client of ours, and uh, the home should—it's going to be a dome home that will incorporate a lot of the technologies I was developing in the tropics, but now adapting for an area of the world where it gets cold and where there's snow load. So this is this is a lot of fun for us to do that, and we're going to be experimenting with everything from you know Wilhelm Reich cloud busters to, jeez, um, the apple apophasis, fractal, uh, garden antennas, like all of it. And we're going to chronicle these things. And we're going to be goofy because he and I can't help but be goofy when we're around each other. And uh, the dad humor will flow like wine. Um, hopefully you got that reference. And we're just going to enjoy ourselves in presenting information that will make you more fruitful. Uh, this is uh, an exciting time as the different uh, <laughs> calls for catastrophism occur, uh, you can always rely on us to show you how you can convert your local trash, like your local biomass, your local trash into a treasure, because that's one thing we all come from people that had made it through the Great Depression. If if you if your family's been in the United States for four or five generations, they survived the Great Depression, and the Great Depression was essentially just a limit on credit and cash disappeared, or at least I should say money disappeared for for a few years, and so people had to be very resilient. And stories within my family were very very specific. My dad told me from as long as I could remember. If you could devote at least a quarter of an acre, which I think a quarter of an acre, if an acre is, let's see, 4,500 square meters, if you could essentially um, devote a 1,000 square meters to a farm or to like a little garden space, you're gonna eat, you're gonna be fine. And um, converting those things around you, like I just found out the other day that I can make um, what, what what they call a Michigan pop or like a soda from fermenting pine needles. Uh, this year, I'm going to tap my maple trees. I'm going to tap my pine trees. I'm going to make my own turpentine. We're going to make our own maple syrup syrup. Um, We'll have our garden from last year, which I was really just prepping for soil for this year. That will have a year of curing with the biochar and all these good things. We're going to chronicle all of this and show you as long as the internet allows it to be so. (laughs) And we'll we'll let you kind of see how... You can have very humble beginnings and learn exactly how to be resilient because resilience is just understanding, hey, all these, everything that's around you can be converted into what you need. Like God always provides, always. And so uh we'll be showing you how to do these conversions and um yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And also we will be building things that have multiple functions. That's a that's a tenant in permaculture is to stack functions. Um, we will do some blackface humor. We have to because I I have a biochar company and I'll be making biochar toothpaste and biochar face creams. And upon popular demand, people really want me just to spread it all over my face. and. Um, yeah, we're gonna combine that with permaculture and have some really good blackface uh, jokes and go for it. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. We're like a non-PC crowd here. Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun, and at and it's a lot of fun at and no one's expense except for like the gamma, the the person that can't laugh at themselves. So that's what we're going to be doing. And it's a lot of fun to work with people that you respect and people that you can have a fun time with. And our whole, we're going to wrap the whole thing up in a very simple phrase, practical innovation. Um, And the reason why that's important to me personally is because for many years, I devoted my energy into very like more high tech over Unity systems, and the one big failure point that I saw, especially in Central America, was it's very hard to fix things that are technically advanced. And so if you run out of ball bearings or or you don't have the right transistor or this that, with all these like higher tech things, um, unless you can ensure the 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 pipeline of parts, Um, they're not really resilience. Like they can give you over unity as long as they work, but can you fix it? So what we're going to be focusing on are technologies that already exist that with a little simple modification, it can give you what you need from things that you produce. And at the same time, because they're ubiquitous, there's a ton of parts available. So in the future, if you need to trade with somebody, more than likely, you'll be able to find the parts easy. It's, um, I say this to my massage clients all the time. Our body is a, is a collection of uh, redundant compensatory mechanisms. And I know that's a mouthful, but redundant means that it's, they're always going. They're always checking each other, right? And they are always compensating for each other. They're always counter-levering. And so and these mechanisms, all are complementary. You kind of want to build your life to, to have, you have redundancy. Then you have the ability from one thing that's working off of another to compensate if the other one falls. And this is a, this is a huge tenant in permaculture. And this is what we're going to be uh, really, really pushing forth. Because uh, when you look at nature, like our body is part of nature, it is a redundant compensatory mechanism. And so uh, we just apply that. We project that out, look at our land, look at our surroundings, and uh, understand that the conversions can happen to our benefit. So I hope you guys have enjoyed the 23... The 2023 Biocharisma podcast, I've had a lot of fun making it. Um, I've gotten a bunch of super chats, like analog super chats from a ton of you. And I wish I was better at giving shots out. But um, if you'd like to do an analog super chat, you can send it to Christopher Gardner at P.O. Box 402 Willow Springs, Missouri. Six five seven nine three zero four zero two, and um that's a wonderful way to support the pod. I've gotten everything from like figurines from Postal Fit to I got a Roman fasces <laughs> from Odon 33, amazing. I had another another wonderful uh I'll just say succulents were sent to us um if you know what I mean, if you've listened to the podcast a little bit, that were like grandfathers, like a bunch of them. Like one of the best gifts a person could get. Um, Also have received, you know, different levels of uh, funding and things. It's just been wonderful. Uh, If you have the chance to join the chat, join the Telegram chat. It is a hoot, man. (laughs) Uh, You'll see like things like on there, like Terps Gang, Uh, A lot of us have been really getting nutty with the turpentine. And uh, so this isn't advice. I guess I have to say that from a liability perspective. I'll tell you what I'm doing for my body and the benefits. Everyone needs to do a parasite cleanse at least a couple times a year, especially if you're touching furry organisms. Like if you have cats and dogs or you have a farm where you're touching mammals that have fur, you have parasites. Whether you want to know that or not, you do. So give your body a break. Give your system a break by um, doing some sort of parasite cleanse. The particular parasite cleanse that I prefer is using a 100% organic uh, gum spirits from pine trees. Also, a.k.a. turpentine, and I mix that with a combination of biochar, sugar, and cayenne pepper, and this extracts the bugs. If you want to hear more about that, uh, you can listen to Dr. Jennifer Daniels. We did a podcast on that. But, um, yeah, we're going to do a little experiment to start off the year, to kick off the year with fasting and turpentine cleansing, which has been it's it's just awesome. I feel like uh, my eyes are back and my mind is back. So that's, uh, it's been a minute since I've done a real cleanse like this. So our chat, the pod, we're all sharing information with each other. We're all just like completely crushing. And uh, I'm also doing a lot of celestic profiles. I'm about to go on with Big Bear we're going to talk about this right here <laughs> the interesting way to look at the calendar um a bunch of my interviews starting off the 2024 cycle will have everything to do with time and timing um i look at this as the i'm continuing my cosmo, my cosmological model um by getting to the final parts of what's known as the quadrivium. So the quadrivium is technically where the four roads meet. That's the definition and it's number, number in space, number in space and time, and number in space and time over duration, also known as uh, math, geometry, music, and astronomy. So Part of this is all about time and how time works, and uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we live in a very, uh, each one of us individually live in a very palindromic way. So The best way I can say that is when we're born, we're dependent on other people, and if we live a natural life cycle to the end of our days, more than likely we're dependent on others at at the end of our life, um, that's a palindrome. it's it ends the way it begins, and vice versa. And so uh, there's a lot of fun coding that has been put into our social sphere that points to this, but it's not the common thing. Like it's just like the common the common folk, the bourgeoisie is given a calendar that doesn't make much sense is given food that doesn't really nourish the body is given information that is laced with 80% untruths <laughs> are you seeing the are you seeing the progression here there's not really the common being is not really given uh the accurate depiction of how to go about Life because they don't have the accurate depiction of the setting that they're in. And the first tenant of scalar physics or the first tenant of ether physics, which is primarily uh, the hermetic principle, is um, if you want something, you generate the correct setting. And the people that have been engineering civilization, they've known this. And this is why there's so much money given to things that uh, kind of put us all in this little spherical mental um, ball. So... Uh, this upcoming season of the, the Biocharisma podcast, we're really going to blow some minds. There's a lot that's coming down the pipe that, uh, I will, I hopefully (laughs) I will be able to really model this well for you. And so that I've said that that's been an objective from, from the get is to actually get to a point where I could give you a really cohesive model that makes sense. And we have wonderful guests that will help us get there. And uh, I will also be starting a live stream. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I think we're going to kick off the live stream with uh, Big Bear. So that should that's always a hoot. So that's where we're at with things. So thank you so much. Check out our Telegram chat. Uh, buy me a coffee if you can. And uh, always reciprocate if you appreciate because uh, I really appreciate you guys. And hopefully the information I'm giving you is, is adding, is an additive uh, component to your life. So have a great New Year.